open your Bibles, if you haven't, to Matthew 28, where we said earlier, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, and what we're going to do today, obviously it's Resurrection Sunday, is that we are going to look at the incredible joy and hope from Jesus' resurrection. So sermon notes in the bulletin, that's the theme. And when we come to Matthew chapter 28, it is a time of great despair. There's despair in the air. And if you're unaware of what the context is in Matthew 28, Jesus Christ has, in the previous chapter, been crucified. Jesus Christ has come to earth. It's around the year 30 to 33 AD. I tend to think it's around 30 AD. Others think 33. Bottom line is that we're about 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is about 33 years in age. We know that from the gospel accounts. Jesus Christ we believe is God come in the flesh. He was born on a magical night, born of a virgin. Around age 12, we see him probably for the first time, as I think about it, one of the first times since he's been born. And he's in the temple and he's gaining a lot of renown. But then we don't really see him, we don't see him again until he's about 30 years old in the scriptures. And he begins an incredible demonstration. A demonstration that the Gospel of John says at the end, it could fill the world with books, with all the things he does. It had to be unfathomable, because I always tell people, we've been studying the Gospel of John, only seven accounts of miracles are in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1 through 12. When you add all the miracles up, it doesn't seem like that much when you even add Matthew, Mark, and Luke in there. But that verse always haunts me at the end of the Gospel of John. And I think to myself that Jesus was going this way and that way, and he was giving sight to the blind, and he was healing the lame, and he was curing people of leprosy, and he was teaching with just great, incredible insights and demonstrating beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was God come in the flesh. And the Jewish leadership recognized it. And like so many people, they represent humanity in a sense where there is the idea, we really don't want God in our life. We could be religious. We could be people that do good service, do things like we were saying that we're for God but we really don't want him in our life. And push came to shove, and they finally said, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the ultimate miracle, and you have to understand, people have been raised from the dead in different circumstances throughout the Bible, but the raising of Lazarus pushed him over the edge because Jesus Christ had raised the man dead for four days. And that was really unheard of. And the Jewish leadership, as you conclude the Gospel of John, chapter 11, decides we've got to kill him. And that's exactly what they do. They lead him through an unjust trial. There are six parts, two halves, a Jewish part, and then there's a Roman part. And at this point in history, when Jesus is executed, there's nothing but despair. 
because the people who were following him and had great anticipation and hoping that things would finally be made right, oppression would be taken away. You've got to remember, the Jewish people are slaves in some sense at this point, in the sense that they, they are under the Roman leadership. There are people who are slaves in that regime. There are, is economic hardship. There's difficulty. And they're thinking, Jesus, Hosanna, save now, Lord. And on Palm Sunday that we celebrated last week, from the historical perspective, brought great, incredible joy. And then we said nothing happened. He wasn't accepted, and it led to his arrest, his trial, and then his crucifixion. And it had to be absolutely devastating. And it's with that background we read Matthew 28. And it says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. This is why we believe the resurrection had had occurred on a Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now this account is in all four Gospels. You get different aspects. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just picking up in the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 2. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I was reading that this morning, and I kept thinking to myself, how terrified they had to be with the holiness of these angels, the brightness, the reality of this appearance And so Matthew only records one. We believe there was another one with him. And so verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Could you imagine the goosebumps you would have got at that point? Your despair was so great, and you hear the words, He has risen. Verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They're going quickly because people are in despair. They need to hear the good news. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. They ran with great joy. You should underline it. That is what I want us to focus on, the great joy they had fear. There's a sense of awe, I think, how that fear is playing out. What in the world has just happened? We know what we saw. We saw a crucified Lord on a Friday. We saw him buried. We saw the viciousness of this. What has happened? Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. And so today we celebrate the historical reality of this. And really every day for a believer, every day for a person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, this day has to impact every day of your life. This is a day we celebrate every day. We call it Easter, but really is more than just an annual observation. It is Resurrection Sunday that impacts every day. Now, I noted that we call it Easter Sunday. Some people call it Resurrection Sunday. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday. There's a little side note. I read an article this week that I had my thinking changed. 
I've often thought that Easter, the term just came from the pagan god Astor. And there's an excellent article, and I can send it to you, anyone, if you ask me to, or you can find it yourself. Answers in Genesis did an article several years ago that there is the thought that perhaps the word Easter developed out of a Hebrew word, um, Pascha, for Passover, and then eventually got tied into um, a, a German word that meant resurrection. And the author from Answers in Genesis makes some really good points and said, don't come down so hard, and I'm not going to do that probably for the rest of my life now, as much thinking that Easter, because I always used to think that. And the possibility is that maybe it's just a word that does mean resurrection. So if that's true, the, I want to also agree with the author. He says, you know, it's so hard when you're de- 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 dealing with the etymology of words and development of words. He said the safest thing is to focus on Resurrection Sunday. So as believers, that's what I want us to do. So I just look at this day, Resurrection Sunday, for what it is. Not a day of bunnies and rabbits and eggs, but a day where we celebrate the historical reality of what this means Now, I said that we're going to look at the joy that this brings. And I have found in my life the greatest joy is when my despair is the greatest. You know, if I'm really hungry and all of a sudden I get food, that food is really good. But if I got lots and lots of food, it it doesn't mean that much to me. Despair is great. When despair is great, the joy is greatest. I'm going to show a little slideshow to help us focus on that despair. Thank you. This is the despair hanging over you and everyone before the resurrection came. This is what I want us to do to see this, to be reminded of this morning so that we grasp the joy that we should have. There are three cursed areas of life that negatively impact you and every person. This is sort of a little theological lesson for you. Number one, life is cursed by death. Number two, sin brings cursed results in people's lives. And number three, the physical world is cursed so that all is in vain. I'm going to explain all three of these. But basically today, just I want you to keep in the back of your mind that these three areas sort of function as a slave master over you. Number one, death is a curse from God's judgment. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned. This is the only picture I put in this. I usually put a lot of different pictures. I know people like pictures, but I wanted this one to be the one that, number one, reminds you. Think of the person in there as you. Death impacts your own life because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. This is why good works do not pay the penalty for sin. Yesterday, I'm in the, two days ago, I'm in the Y, and I'm getting dressed, and there's a guy coming in. I'm getting dressed to work out, and I said, happy Resurrection Sunday. And he said, you know, looking forward to it. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to church. And then he told me where he was going to church. And I knew that it was a church that doesn't preach the Bible, doesn't preach truth. And I asked him, I said, if I came to your church on Sunday, what would you tell me? How does a person get to heaven? person has grown up and gone to all the services all his life he's in his 50s maybe he might be 60 years old and he told me well i really wouldn't know what to tell people i would just tell people you have to be a good person 
And the reality of it is, as I told him, and I went through the gospel with him, in the Y, naked, <laughs> with a towel around me. And when it was all said and done, he said, thank you, and then went off to take a shower. But the wages of sin is death. It's not good works. That's why good works don't get you in. And death will impact the life of your loved ones. And today, all of us are impacted. If you, some people have told me, you know, I'm in their 30s. This is the first funeral I ever went to. Oh, my grandparents are still alive. My aunts and uncles are still alive. Listen, all it takes is a few years. Everyone, the life of your loved ones, the life of, lives of significant people, from doctors to inventors to great statesmen. I started thinking about that. All the people we know, sometimes I think, wow, this, that's a great doctor. That's a great man. Boy, I wish he was alive today. That was a great woman. She does so many wonderful things. And then they die. And then there's people that are strangers that die. Did you go see the news yesterday? Yesterday, the last person that they know documented in the entire world that was born in the 1800s died. Last person they know that was born in 1899. How many of you know somebody that was born in the 1800s? I know, Lou does, I do. I'll never forget, my grandparents were born in 1880. And I've met people that, that were tied into the Civil War. And those people, that last one that we know, that they're saying now that the oldest person in the world was, was born in 1900. Death impacts us. It impacts everyone. Death eventually gets everyone by old age, accidents, sickness, disease and plagues, murders and wars, suicide, endless other tragedies. How are you going to die? You know, when are you going to die? We're going to put all that in. Everybody wants to die in their sleep. Everybody wants to die peacefully. Everyone here will die. But there's also an eternal death in the lake of fire. The Bible says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If we don't want to think about death, but we also don't want to think about this aspect of death called the lake of fire, but that's part of it. To be clear, you despair because death takes everything away from you. Everything. Everything. There's, there should be... The reality of it is, as we know that most people walk around thinking they're not going to die, but the reality of it is, is everyone will die, and everything that you want, everything that you want to hold on to, everything that you want to do, will one day be taken away from you. Everything. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. What a bummer of a message. <laughs> Second, sin brings cursed problems of calamity, distress, and anguish. Proverbs 127 talks about this, to mess up life before death. This is just endless what I could have said here. But the, the second aspect, so we get the first part. All right, sin brings death, but sin also just brings up, messes things up so that now, while we're living, before we actually die, they mess us up. We say things, we do things that just hurt our own self. And then we do things that hurt other people. And then when people do things to us, we can't forgive them, which becomes a sin. 
Sin brings about your own death, but also actions that cause the death of others, broken relationships, bad memories, embarrassment, many tragedies, from accidents to murders to wars, just lousy societies. You know, you go to a country and they've got no food. Why? Because they've got sinful leaders and sinful people that just cannot take the things in their government and make them profitable, productive. And then we watch the waste even in our own country. It's all part of sin. Sin packs you and everyone. And here is the theological lesson on sin that i've shared with you before there are four areas that are impacted by sin the way you think and the way others think about you you know sometimes some people get so angry at you like we i just and they do things and say things they just don't they don't like you they don't think right about you and then the way we speak and then the way we act and then fourth in our omissions the things that we're supposed to do but we don't do Sin impacts you and everyone. To be clear, you despair because sin ruins everything in your life. Some of us today are like so weighed down with so many bad memories just because what sin does to us. But then third, this is one I don't know if you always think about, but the earth is cursed. God said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat Till you return to the ground. The earth is cursed. There's a curse in this earth. <laughs> and the curse means this. Things will not always work out. You, you, sometimes things just break down and you don't know why they break down. Things rust. Weather brings havoc. Rust and fades and decays and pollutes. Food and water could be scarce. Accidents will happen. The unexpected can happen. It is because God has cursed us. And we don't have time to study this, but it is part of the blessing of God because he wants us to never think that life is okay here. The list is endless of the troubles we can experience. All is vanity because nothing on earth can be kept forever. Solomon teaches vanity of vanities. That means emptiness. All is vanity. What advantage does, does, oh God, I missed that. does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Everything that we do, we accomplish, and I would encourage you, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read about how it talks about you can work hard, you can be the most productive person in the world, and then you die. You can be the most productive person in the world, and then all your treasures goes to some stupid fool. Everything is empty. Then you think, why should I do anything? Apart from God, there is nothing but emptiness. To be clear, you despair because all is vanity. Because of this curse, everything is empty. In summary, there is much despair for you because you will die. <laughs> Your life is far from perfect because it's impacted by sin. And the people around you are far from perfect. And this world will always have problems. You know, we can say, oh, I'm going to get this elected leader. We're going to get this system of education in. And things will be better. No, it won't ever. I mean, we'll keep trying but the problem is is this world will always have problems but now let's see how the resurrection of jesus changed all this despair to bring us joy and hope because today there is a day of joy and hope so get the lights please turn in your bibles to the book of hebrews chapter 2 look in your sermon notes and what i want you to fill out fill in the blank is as we turn to hebrews chapter 2 is that 
Because of the resurrection, your death does not end your life, and you will be, fill in the second blank, resurrected. This is the exciting thing. Obviously, this is first and foremost. And Hebrews chapter 2, the book of Hebrews is a book written by an author. I'm not sure we know who the author was. There's a lot of speculation as to who it was. But the theme of the book of Hebrews is about the superiority of Jesus Christ, how Jesus is superior as the greatest prophet, greatest teacher, greatest leader, and goes through all these different scenarios. And when you come to chapter 2, it's talking about, I believe, how he is superior in giving us the greatest help and aid. Pick up in chapter 2, verse 9, as the author says, speaking of Jesus, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with him in glory, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, Jesus was God who came in the flesh. He came as a human being, verse 14, that through death, his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. I'm not going to go into all the legal ramifications, but somehow, someway, God allowed the devil to bring valid accusations that these people have sinned. And we know that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, and he has been given a ruling and reigning fashion. I don't think it's like he took this away from God. Somehow, I believe God graciously allowed him to have this power, and that is the devil. And verse 15, and it says, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And then it goes on, it says, he does not give help to angels, but gives helps to the descendants of Abraham. And what you need to do is star verse 15. This is the idea that everybody here was subject to slavery. You know, we hate slavery. We, we, we hate what happened in America. We hate what the history of America's dealing with slavery. We hate the reality that there are people in history that have been held slaves, as we said before, in the book of um, the Gospels. When we, in the books of the Gospels, we believe that at that time almost 50% of the world were slaves. Today in America, we've got freedom And when we talk about slavery, we need to talk about all races and every one of us. None of us would ever want to be a slave. None of us would ever want to be a slave. We can't even begin to fathom what it's like if someone tells us that they own us and they control us. But listen, every one of you today, prior to having belief in Jesus Christ, you were a slave. Not me. Absolutely. You're a slave. You were a slave to death. That's what verse 15 says, because it controlled you, and it hung over. And, and, you know, there are people that have some of these watches or these clocks that count down the number of days in your life that are left. Have you seen some? Some of you seen those? They, they come up like, they, oh, you're a male, and the average age at death is a male. For a male, is like 72. Now it might be 75. But then, and so they set these, these, these clocks, and they're counting down. What is that? That's like the reminder that this is all the time that you have left. This is so common that I'm sure many of you don't even think about it. How many of you have heard, like there was a movie a couple years ago called Bucket List, and how many people have a bucket list? What is a bucket list? A bucket list is get these things done before you die. 
because you only have so much time. It hangs over you. It controls you. If you do not get that in, you die and everything is gone. But my God, because of the resurrection, you now can kick the old bucket. You can tell anyone, anytime, any place. listen. When someone says, oh, I, I got a bucket list, you say, why do you need a bucket list? I don't need a bucket list. Let me tell you why I don't need a bucket list. Listen, I don't need a bucket list. I remember 30-some years ago when I got saved, the guy that led me to the Lord, they wanted to, he told me like his wife wanted to travel the world, but because now she's a Christian, she didn't have to squeeze it all in. And it's always because she knows she's got eternity to travel. Now, we might not get to see the same sites and things that are going to be buildings all around the world, but the reality of it is there is the truth that everything that you want to do, it's not going to be just floating on clouds. Everything from travel to perhaps learning a musical instrument and I'll finally get that piano down, all the things of reading and studying, All of these things are now open to us because death has been defeated. We don't have time, but Jesus would say, and we could just jot this down. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what Carl read, he so identifies himself with the resurrection. And he says, even if you should die, and we wish that death was totally wiped out now, but we know it's not wiped out only because God is in a permanent way now because God is allowing people to get saved, people to come to faith. Because if Jesus would have instituted the kingdom and everything right then and there, we wouldn't have been born. So God, the Bible tells us, is patiently enduring and waiting till when death and its sting is finally wiped off. But we should every day recognize that for us, And for everyone that believes, and this is why the passion to get the gospel out is so great. Because passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that we will be reunited with our loved ones. There is this idea that we will recognize people. I don't know exactly how the resurrection bodies will actually look. If you all get a resurrection body that's like age 25 and in perfect fit health, that sort of looks like me right now, all right? We don't know what it looks like, but somehow we'll all recognize people. People matter. This is why the only thing that really matters over and over and over is that people believe and that you know you're born again and you know your children are born again and you don't lie to yourself and you don't lie about your friends and you want to see the fruit of salvation in their life because the only people that this first point benefits are the people that are saved that are born again. But today, I have incredible joy because death doesn't end my life. Amen? And for you too. So I often say, we're excited that Jesus is resurrected, but we know what it means for us. But there's more to it. Turn in your Bibles. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. The book of Romans is a great book that talks about how we get righteousness and how it comes through Jesus Christ and and comes through salvation and then how we're to practice it. And in Romans, in two chapters, there is the constant reminder of the fact that sin impacts us and it enslaves us. And now you can write, your sin no longer has to enslave you for you can get control over your body. Now, this doesn't mean that you won't have 
struggles with sin or other people won't sin against you. But I can tell you, you can have sin minimized in your life. And I, well, let's just read Romans chapter 6, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is talking about saved people. And he says, what shall we say then? Verse 1 of Romans 6. Are we to continue in grace, so, in sin, so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin shall still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might, so we too might walk in newness of life. What he's saying is because we have been identified with Christ in his death, we've been given a new life, we've been born again, and now our lives can be different. For verse 5, for if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, last verse, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you obey its lust. Obey its lust as a master that says, you got to do what I want you to do. I want you to think the way I want you to think. I want you to speak the way I want you to speak. I want you to act the way I want you to do, do things. And I want you to be passive about the things that I want you to be passive about. I, I want you to commit sins of omission. You should look at that verse and think about the fact, uh, verse um, 6 as it ends, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Again, none of us want to have a, a master over us. None of us want to be a slave. But the reality of it is, and I can still remember growing up in a home, and we never went to church, and I can remember struggling with things, and I can remember saying to myself, why can't I stop the things that I'm doing? Why can't I change sometimes the way I speak and the things that I think and the things that I act and I do? Oh, my goodness, I just sometimes I hate myself. How does this control myself? Why do I keep following back in these patterns? It wasn't until I became a believer that I started to see the change and the control. And as I grow, I find myself more and more having control over my own body. And so now, even when somebody sins against me, I now no longer have to say, you get nothing but wrath from me. Because now I can forgive and you can give testimony to it too. I know you all can this is one of the greatest things that has ever happened to humanity, that sin no longer crouches at this door and will win and have victory over us. It is one of the greatest joys that we can ever, ever have. And we should live it. And we should all be able to give testimony this day about how we have changed lives. I don't have time to go back. You jot down. I wanted to go into Romans 8 in great detail but it goes in, it talks about how because Jesus died, he's given us the spirit of God and we are now sons of God and the spirit testifies in our spirit and the spirit empowers us. That's what Romans 8 is about. And it's interesting. We'll turn there because we're going to be there in a second um, for the third point. But the idea is that verse 15, Romans eight fifteen says, we have not received the spirit of slavery 
leading to fear again. But you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons, which we cry out, Abba, Father. There is the reality that we have this new spirit, and the relationship is one where God is our master, but it's not out of the meanness of the sin of slavery, where it beats you down. Sin, as a taskmaster, wants to destroy your life. I can't give a greater appeal than if someone's not a believer in Jesus Christ. Why in the world do you want to stay as an unbeliever? You should want to run to find freedom. And for you and for I, this brings us nothing but great joy because now we no longer have to think and act and have it as our master. And there is nothing, nothing I believe but there could be, <laughs> there's just great joy over this. But lastly, fill in the blank, your life does not have to be lived in vain in this cursed world. In this world, your life can have purpose, fill in the blank. You see, we talked about in Genesis chapter 3, the cursing of the ground would, not, would make life hard for Adam. We know through thorns and thistles that this world is cursed. Things are hard. Work is hard. Accumulating things is hard. Keeping things is hard. And then through it all, we know, as Ecclesiastes tells us, you die. And the whole world is subjected right now to a curse that holds it as slave. Look at Romans chapter 8. Pick up in verse 12. And it says, so then, brethren, you are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because we're believers now. We don't have to live according to the sinful flesh. He says, but if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If the Spirit of God is leading you, you're a son of God. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, which we cry out, I'm a father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified with him. Now here it comes. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Now, this is out of the three categories. This is one that doesn't have the word slavery in this part. But the idea of being subjected is that idea of a master slave. You're subject. And creation was subjected to what? Futility. That's the concept of the curse. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And there's our expression of slavery. It's slave to corruption. And so it's not like it's like a specific master in the sense of like Satan, but it's the decay. So it's in slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? The idea here is that no matter what you do in life, 
prior to the coming of Christ, the reality of it is it, would have, it really was all worthless. Think about it. You could have been the greatest doctor, attorney, political leader, greatest dad, greatest mom. You could have been the, one of the greatest teachers, one of the best community organizers, one of the best. You could have had great wisdom and insight, and it would have all been worthless. Because when you died, that would have been it. It would just gone away. And as much as you could have said, I want to try to keep it, you'd be like the pharaohs who built their pyramids and accumulated all their, their, their wealth and buried it with them, hoping that one day they would awaken and be able to keep it all. They even buried sometimes their servants with them, hoping their servants would be with them. Just the last passage, I want you to see 1 Corinthians 15. It's ironic. No, it's, it's God's perfect plan. 1 Corinthians 15, the moment I said it, you sh- those of you who have been students of the Bible, you should say, wait a second, if you're talking about the resurrection today, you're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and our resurrection, there's no better passage in the New Testament to study the resurrection than 1 Corinthians 15. And it goes through how it's tied to the gospel and the witnesses to it and the, how it's secure and how the order will go and how we have to live in light of the resurrection and how we have to have, have understanding of how there's going to be a glorified body and how there's going to even be a moment where we're going to be resurrected in the twinkle of an eye. All these concepts and all these things go through different aspects of the resurrection but I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that the very last verse, the lengthy chapter talks about this third category because it says this therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your toil is not in vain remember we said vain vanity of vanities all is vanity now if i decide to be the best dad god will bless everything i do if i go off to work and i'm the best worker everything i do if i work for the lord if i serve and if i witness for him all the things that i do everything that i do is now seen that's so wonderful you know you get a job and you know your boss doesn't see everything that you do and you don't get credit for it god sees everything that you do life now has purpose and 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 you should be so thankful because the bible talks about storing up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't what destroy it's where everything that you do is accredited and there is rewarded. We're going to study that next Sunday, my promo to come back next Sunday. But the reality of it is, is now your life doesn't have to be lived in vain. Your life can have purpose. And the idea is there's so many blessings we get in the future, the new body and all of those things. But the reality of it is, is that this life now matters. And, 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 for me, this has had a great impact upon me because even now as I get older and i um, been telling, you know, I don't know if it's like the midlife crisis or things, but, uh, you know, I was going to be a CPA and my, uh, my mandatory retirement age in my firm was 58 years old and I'll be 56 this year. So I'll be two years away from what I would have had to retire. And I think I've been thinking to myself a lot about, wow, life has really flashed by the, Becky and I were talking about, we took the kids on a trip, and we, I thought it was two years ago. It was five years ago. Life has so fast gone. And the last 20 years of my life, I can blink. I remember being 35, and now I'm going to be 56. 
And I tell you, the last 20, 21 years has gone by like that. And I fully know the next 20 are going to go just as fast, if not faster. And you probably experience the same thing. And so as I've been reflecting and thinking about life, I think to myself, Mike, did you make the right choice? I've honestly thought that. And my kids are at a time and age, and they need things. I live like a car, go to school, and, uh, and Josh needing things. And, and I can tell you, somebody said to me in the past two months, and it really hurt me, because I was trying to figure out money situations, and they said, well, why didn't you, why didn't you just stay up a CPA? Why'd you go in the ministry? And I, you think and you say to yourself, you know, and, and this isn't, th- this could be the same for you if you, someone would have said, well, why did you go to Awana's every Wednesday night? Why did you come to Bible study? Why did you get involved in service? Why did you give up the time to, to make tracks or sell, give out tracks? Why did you do all those things? Every one of you could think about all the things of service that you've done, and you could sit there and say, you know, I could have done this or I could have done that. I, you know, I'll never forget. I, it lives with me. You know, so many things I've given up that I love. I, I, you laugh about it. I, I never wanted to leave Cleveland, Ohio, the capital of the, of the world, from my view, because the Cleveland Indians there, the Browns were there, the Cavaliers were there, world champion Cavaliers. And, but I look back and I say to myself, and this is where, as I come to the conclusion, and I say to myself, was it all worth it? It's passages like this, and you need to underline it for yourself it is never in vain. It is never empty. It is never worthless. Life lived now is not in vain in this cursed world for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't lived your life for Jesus Christ, yeah, your life is empty. That's still bad news, but this is a morning of great joy, and I want to focus on that. And if you want to start today to have great joy, then I would tell you, make sure you put your faith in Christ. And so today, there's great despair in the air for the world, but for us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize death has been defeated. Sin is no longer our master. Our life can now have purpose. But I can tell you it would be another tragedy if you would not believe in Jesus Christ. So I challenge everyone here to believe. What do you do? First and foremost, recognize you're a sinner who owes God your very soul. For the second death will come for you. Not only will physical death, but second death. Your tarnished life can never fix your sin situation. Second, you need to recognize Jesus was God and man who came into the world and he proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then third, when he died on that cross, that we honor the cross from 2,000 years ago. What he did was he took a penalty that you deserved We call it the substitutionary atonement. He took the penalty. And God, in his legal system, will allow a substitute for you. Fourth, you have to believe when he raised from the dead that he was alive and has proved that the the, the death he gave was accepted by God the Father. But finally, you need to believe this by faith alone, knowing that faith is not mere agreement, but a commitment of trust. It starts today and, and, and goes until your death. If you really believe something, it changes the way you live. And so today, I tell you, believe and have joy. And I want to share with you, I 
Brian, we're going to show one last video. Someone get the lights. And as this video is getting set up, I want to preface it with you for you. Think about if the resurrection of Jesus happened today, how the information would be given out. And then watch this video as these people who perhaps, if, again, if they were hearing that Jesus had, just, had died on the Friday, in a modern-day setting, them getting the message that Jesus is alive. Brian? This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. Let's pray. Amen. I wanted to be that guy that goes like that. Let's pray. Father. As the men come forward for the, for the offering, there is just great joy in us. That's why I want everyone here to leave today with just incredible joy. Because God, there's been so many people that we have seen die even in our church in the past year, and it hurts and it's painful, and we want to see them again, and we are so thankful that we can know them again. And on this day, some of the hardship is the reality that there are people that we have loved and seen die that they have not been believers in Jesus Christ. And I got to hold on to the fact that you're going to wipe away every tear. But God, for us, may we continue just to have great joy and may it impact the way we live our lives no more in despair. No despair in the air because Jesus Christ is alive. In Jesus' name, amen.